Pastor Curry mentioned, tis the season to gather. We gather together. We often sing that around Thanksgiving, right? I believe we sang that at the hymn sing on Thanksgiving. We gather together. We gather together. Tis the season to gather together. Anyone have some Christmas parties coming up? Nobody? Oh man, yeah, there we are. Yeah, anyone have like five Christmas parties coming up? Yeah, right? How about this? Um, when you host a party, does anyone kind of go a little over the top in your planning? Huh? Yeah, I love that. Proudly raise that hand because me too. All right, Meg does a lot of the heavy lifting for us, but I'll often think about the food, all right? Um, just a couple weeks ago, Miles, our oldest son, turned seven. And I said, Meg, I'll take care of the food. I wanted, you know, it was a small gathering, just family and like one or two friends, right? And so we're having these people over to our house. I'm like, I'm going to make some appetizers. I'm going to make homemade salsa. I'm not going to make just one kind of homemade salsa. I'm going to make three types of homemade salsa. And I want to make sure everyone has enough. And judging on how much salsa I eat, that means I got to make a lot. There was probably like a gallon or two of salsa that I made. You know how much was left? It was close to a gallon or two. <laughs> they say they like the salsa, but you make so much of it, right? Okay, and then the main course, we were just getting pizza. Miles wanted pizza, keeping it easy, right? Pizza. How can you mess up pizza? You want to make sure everyone has enough. So some of you may remember from when we had Second Sunday last year and we got Benny DeCarta's pizzas. They're about this big. I'm not even like exaggerating, like right? My, it's, the, it's like this big of a box. You have to go backwards out of the door and tilt to get it out, okay? Now, one of those, they say, can feed about 10 people. We had about 10 people coming, many of which were kids. I was worried about not having enough, so I got two. And do you know how, many, how much pizza we had left? At least the whole box. So what did we eat for the whole week after? Well, pizza and salsa, a natural pairing, right? I won't even tell you about the pies. I get into this frantic state of mind, right? Kind of like Martha uh, when, she's, when she's planning and trying to host the best for, for Jesus and give him the best and you don't want anyone to go lacking or anything like that. It, it, it gets kind of nuts. And now it's Christmas party season and we gather and we gather and we gather and we gather some more and there seems to be sometimes this pressure, right? To have, have the perfect Christmas gathering with the most perfectly crisp lines on the gift wrap. The best homemade salsa. I'll give you my recipe. It's pretty good. The most amazing Christmas playlist. Set, of course, at the perfect volume. So you can still talk, but still hear the music. And if your family picture doesn't look like a Gap ad, well, take it a few more times, right? Today we're thinking back, though, to that very first Christmas gathering. And we're remembering, at its heart, it really is quite simple. really is quite simple. We're in week two of our series, Simple Christmas. And we're looking at these elements that often during the Christmas season get hijacked and become significantly more than they ever were to begin with. And we're trying to reclaim and remember the simple but extraordinary beauty as we find them in the Christmas account. 
So that's what we're doing today. We're talking about gatherings. So let's go to the text. Let's hear about this first Christmas gathering and see what it was all about. We'll be in Luke 2 today, 1 through, I think, 20. And you're welcome to turn to that. It'll also be on the screen. But for now, will you hear the word of the Lord? In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius, oh, butchered that, was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. The very first gathering at Christmas, the beginning of Christmas, first one to ever take place, God made all the plans. He chose the place, he chose the circumstances, and the family of Jesus, but none of that makes sense on the surface, does it? Every single year, I get such a kick out of imagining this young man, Joseph, convincing his pregnant virgin fiance, Mary, to go on this four-day journey by camel, mostly uphill, so that he can, you know, do what he has to do. Any husbands in here want to try that with their spouse? I love it. Love it. Yeah, right? So it's like, whew. But by God's grace, they make it to Bethlehem. And naturally, after a four days journey on camel, uh, Mary goes into labor. Some of you ever do that drive around thing, right? To try and induce labor, walk around the neighborhood. Just get a camel and go on a four day journey. Mary goes into labor. She gives birth to Jesus. Now there's no guest room available, as we know. So they stay in a stable. In those days, those stables would be attached to houses. It would be kind of connected to houses and inns and all of that, okay? That's where the, the livestock would reside. And of course, they used the feeding trough for a bed. God could have chosen any family, any time, any place for the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, the Savior of the world to make his grand arrival. And this is what he chose. What kind of gathering is this? Imagine if you were invited to a party at this place. Where's the salsa? Where's the pizza? Where's like the four walls and the lack of animals, right? But remember, God and his ways are perfect. Check this out, Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Look at that. Another fulfilled prophecy. Why is that amazing? Because think about it. On paper, if you were to lay all this out, all the prophecies, 
you would have no idea how it was all come to be. Okay, Mary is told by Gabriel in Nazareth, where she lives, you will give birth to a son. He'll be the savior of the world. But he was going to come from Bethlehem. So how does that make sense? God had a plan. We never would have imagined that, but he had a plan. They had this journey to take. What do we take from that? If God calls you to do something, and you question first if you're up to the task, or next you question if you're the right choice, remember Joseph and Mary and Jesus' grand entrance. On paper, it makes no sense. You may look at what God wants you to do and you'll go, how? How? What are we called to do? But to trust God, to follow him. You want to know how? He's how. Don't let the how stop the wow. You can remember that. Don't let the how stop the wow. God and his ways are perfect. So when your name comes up, and it will, and he calls you to do something, the best we can do is faithfully follow and trust and be prepared to be wowed. Mary and Joseph had no idea what was in store. They had no idea what this journey was going to lead to. It led to the birth of Jesus Christ. I've said this several times, and I hope it sticks with you. But if God calls you to it, he'll see you through it. If God calls you to it, he'll see you through it. We're going to talk specifically next week about how God's plans are consistently different than our own and how that's a very good thing. That's next week. But for now, we're thinking of that first Christmas gathering. The stage is set. The hosts have now arrived. The guest of honor has made his entrance. The house has been decorated with with hay and and live entertainment with the animals but we still need some party guests let's hope that they get their invitation seeing as we're talking about the birth of the savior of the world you'd think this would be quite an incredible guest list wouldn't you but you all know what happens so let's read on starting at verse 8 And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So suddenly a great company of the heavens, heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, what the Lord has told us about. We'll finish that passage in a moment. But hearing that, remembering that, visualizing that, receiving that, doesn't that just 
pump you up again? It's powerful. It is powerful. These shepherds, think of these shepherds. They had the lowest reputation around. They were, they were so lowly. They were so despised. They were looked down upon in the same way that the tax collectors were looked down upon. They didn't even just hold a lowly position. You see, they were often in this time, they were subject uh, to, to ridicule and suspicion and scorn. See, a lot of times they were out in the fields, often, you know, at night. They always have to be with the animals and all this. So if there's a lonely traveler coming along, the bad ones would prey on those lonely travelers. They had a terrible reputation. So much so that they were disqualified from being legal witnesses in their day and age. Can you believe that? So if the shepherds are the only thing to witness something, they couldn't call them in at a trial because they wouldn't trust their word. That's how bad their reputation was. Jesus did the greatest PR work ever for shepherds when he came and said, I'm the good shepherd. Because we have a positive view of shepherding, right? But then what was a totally different thing? And these lowly shepherds, they're the ones who receive that very first birth announcement of Jesus. It amazes me. Amazes me. Think of your own gatherings for a minute. If you're hosting, do, do we have to invite that one person? Do we have to? Could we somehow not invite that person? Or if we're going to someone's party, yeah, but is he going to be there? Okay, if you, if you see them talking to me, come rescue me, right? Right? We sometimes do this. You don't want to nod, but I know you're thinking it. I wonder, I wonder, even if this year, maybe God has something in store for that person that you would never expect. I wonder that maybe that individual who comes to your mind for those gatherings, if they might need some life-changing good news, good news of, of great joy. And I wonder, what if you are the unexpected source of that good news of great joy? May our eyes and our ears be open to the Spirit's leading and what He might have in store for us at our gatherings this year. The shepherds hearing this news, well, it was way too good to go back to work. You ever have that? You're working in an office and something way too good happens. It's like, well, that's the day. <laughs> I, can't, I can't just return to my work. Not here, of course, because, right? It's a joy to work here. Bob says, yes. As chair of deacons, it is. It is a joy but they received such good news, they just couldn't return to work. They couldn't. They couldn't. Think about this, though. It's kind of crazy, because the shepherds, they really didn't have a whole lot. It was a lowly standing. All they did have was completely connected to this position as a shepherd. If they left, it would be the same as leaving their well-being. If they, they left, they, you know they're not bringing their animals with them on this journey. And surely after the heavenly hosts arrive, none of them are going to want to stay behind. They want to go see. So they all leave. It would be the same as quitting. But how, how could you not, after such a miraculous display from these angels? They didn't care about that anymore. This good news was way too good that that was the, the, the marching order of the day. It was the best news ever. 
But a quick gut check for all of us. We'll often come to church or we'll open our Bible or we'll, we'll hear and receive and read the same very good news of great joy. But then how often do we just go back as if nothing changes? Ought we be compelled to be a little different, filled with that joy, filled with that excitement again? Remember, like these shepherds, that first time in your life where you grasped and received the good news of great joy and what that did for you. Do you remember? Yeah. What does it look like for us to contend and seek that yet again every time we hear this good news of great joy? The life of faith means we'll respond differently throughout different seasons of our life. But the good news doesn't change. And it still meets us every single time right where we are and compels us to be changed for the better again. The shepherds, off they go. They drew close to Jesus. The Jesus who left heaven for them, they now went to see him. And then we have the final part of our passage today from 16 through 20. They hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, she treasured up all these things and she pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Thank God for his true word. And that's the first gathering of Christmas. They gathered at the manger. The decorations weren't great. The entertainment wasn't great. But it was, I dare say, a truly wondrous celebration. First ever Christmas party, so simple and so extraordinary. These shepherds, they come, they see what they had been told. It is true. We weren't just daydreaming or night dreaming. It was true. They see Jesus, the Savior of the world, and then what happens? The shepherds become evangelists. Do you see that? They, right away, they, they were compelled. They went in and they spread the word. And unlike shepherds whose word could never be trusted, they are now evangelists that God uses to spread his word of good news, of great joy. And what does the text tell us? But all who heard it were amazed. What a transition. What a transformation. I just love this. They see Jesus. They're in awe of all that has happened to, to them that night. And they simply must tell others, I can't keep this to myself. I must share it. I must tell others. The good news of great joy is too big, too big. It is too big for them to hold. It must overflow. So for us, what good news of great joy have you received in your life? How has this same truth connected to you in your life? As you think back, how has God been faithful? 
And then as we're thinking of gathering with our, our friends and our family and our coworkers and all that, have we shared that lately? Have we shared that? I wonder if God has placed something in your heart to share as you gather this Christmas. It can be scary with non-believers. It can be scary with family members who we've talked to and talked to and talked to and they haven't received it. It can be scary to breach the subject with a coworker. But just like the shepherds who previously would be, sus- they would be suspicious of their words, God will take what you say and what you do, if it's his word, and accomplish his purposes. A wonderful way to say is simply, have I ever told you why I go to church? Have I ever told you why I love God? Have I ever told you why I listen to worship music? Have I ever told you why? And they may say yes, they may say no. But it opens the door for potentially more. So I leave that with you just as an offering. Again, go to God in prayer. Do I have something to share? And who is God calling me to share it with? These shepherds, their lives were changed forever by the good news of Jesus. And then what happens? Then they return. They come back. They come back. Can you imagine if someone came back to your party while you're cleaning up? I'm back! (laughs) You'd be like, get out of here or help clean and then get out of here. But this makes sense, right? Because they return to worship God. They return. It was too good. They have to return. And it's such a powerful example that these lowly shepherds provide for a vibrant life of faith. They're compelled by the good news, and then they share it with others, and then they return to give God praise for what he has done. The good news is that Jesus comes to all. He comes to the plain. He comes to the ordinary. He comes to you if you have a heart humble enough to accept him. Whoever you are, whatever you do, Jesus invites you in even as he is drawing closer to you. See, you will never be underqualified for meeting with the King of Kings. For his chosen first assembly was with Mary, Joseph, the animals, and the shepherds. If they were good enough, you'll be good enough because he'll make it so you're good enough. Jesus Christ came at Christmas for you, for you, for you, for all of you, for all of us. And what does he long for us to do? But to draw near to him. Come in close. Come in close. I left heaven for you. You come in close. As James 4 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What an encouragement. And think about it. Jesus doesn't require us to have the fanciest clothes. He doesn't, he doesn't need us to bring the best homemade salsa or the finest music. All he longs for is our heart and a life longing to be in step with him. A life that abides and remains in him. You know the context years later when he is with his disciples and he is teaching them about the vine and the branches that if we remain in him, he will remain in us. And in that context, what does he call us? He calls us his friend. Can you fathom that? We grow up singing, what a friend we have in Jesus. But when we actually think of that, 
Savior of the world calls you my friend. Christmas reminds us what it's all about. It's not about going crazy with our gatherings or our plans. It's remembering that Jesus longs for us to gather with him. It's about beholding Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And this very first Christmas gathering, what does it show us? If the lowly shepherds have the honor of being the first guests, then we are all invited to Jesus' party. We have a seat at his table. In God's kingdom, the shepherd is welcomed at the stable. The sinner is saved on the cross. The denier can become a preacher. The hurting can be healed. The persecuted becomes a champion of the faith. And the lost can be found. That means you have a seat at his table. He came for you. He left heaven for you. And you don't have to be qualified. For he will qualify you. You have a seat at his table. But to take your seat, you got to draw near. you got to step toward him. That is the response, after all, of hearing this good news of great joy. It is to draw near and to share. At its heart, isn't that what gathering is? We draw near to others, and then we share. We share. Most important gathering for all of us to attend this Christmas season is the gathering you have with Jesus to meet him. He's the main thing. He's the reason for Christmas. He's the reason we're alive. And he longs for us to draw near to him. Keep him in our focus. Remember what matters. I've done this before, but I invite you all to put your finger in front of your face. Preferably your pointer finger. Hold it in front of your face. Now, look past your finger and look at me as I'm looking at you. Don't look at your finger, but is it blurry? You're not really noticing it too much, right? Kind of like how you can't see your nose, right, through your eyes? Now look at your finger. And what happens to me? I get blurry. You all get blurry. What we focus on becomes clear, and what doesn't matter fades. As we focus on this season, we keep our eyes on Jesus. We focus on him. This finger you all held up, I asked you to do the pointer finger, not as a, as a joke, but because we grew up with this finger, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? The light of Christ, it reminds us to keep our eyes on the light of the world who has come into the world for you and calls us to share and spread as we focus on this light. That's what we all long for here. Keep him the center of the focus of the season. Not just this season, but the next and the next and the next. That first gathering, simple but extraordinary. For it was all about Jesus. All about Jesus. It's all about God doing what he promised. It's about his love and his faithfulness on full display. And he invites us all to come and see what God has done. Whoever you are, wherever you are in your life, come. Come. Come and see that Christ is born. He is born for you. So come, for you have a seat at his table. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Will you pray with me?
Lord God, we thank you so much for that first Christmas. We thank you that you drew near to us, that you left heaven for us. And even after you drew near to us, you went to the cross for us. And then you promised you would send your spirit so that you moved in. God, you are constantly drawing nearer and nearer and nearer to us. So (laughs) being astounded by that truth, Lord, we feel compelled to draw near to you once more. And we bask in your promise that says, God, that we don't have to have it all figured out to come to you. We accept your invitation to come and see what you have done, to receive the good news of great joy, because, oh Lord, we need it. And as we come, God, we pray that you make beauty out of our mess. We pray that we are transformed. We pray that we continue to contend for the faith, that we seek you above and over all things. Lord God, you will show us the way so we submit ourselves once more to you. And even, Lord, as we prepare to gather around this Christmas season, we do pray that we pay attention to the promptings you have placed on our lives because we trust you are still at work today, that your light still shines, and we long to share that light and that love of you with all we encounter. We are your humble servants, and so we come, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's respond.